97% of salespeople are missing this one thing that if they only knew it would allow them to close 75% more sales. It has nothing to do with charisma, the gift of gab, or whatever else you've been told. Because if you're trying to convince your customer, that means they don't want to buy, which means you've already lost the sale. What sales professionals do is sell customers exactly what they want to buy. They work with the customer to uncover their current challenges, the consequences of those challenges, and how that's impacting them. They then help the prospect describe the ideal solution to their problems, what that looks like, and how that perfect outcome will impact them. And once they can picture that perfect outcome, price is irrelevant. That's right. Sales professionals sell customers exactly what they want to buy because it's easier dealing with a happy customer than dealing with a customer who felt sold. So here's the deal. I explain everything in my live two-day sales workshop, June 14th and 15th in my office. Go to closemoresales.com slash workshop and you'll be able to close more sales as soon as you get back. Train. Jump on the steam train. We real estate disruptors. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we got Michael McDonald with Rocket Homebuyers and Michael Fleming from Las Vegas to talk about how he's wholesaled 100 plus homes for $2 million virtually, right? So I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you take consistent action, you will become one. Now, I've been talking about that for years now, and we still see some people struggling to take action. So we created a form to help you get some clarity about where you're at. So if you want to get some clarity on where you're at financially, go to wealthevaluation.com. We do have our live in-person training coming up March 31st. We're spending two full days giving you every tactic, strategy, and tool to close more deals. The market has changed. And if your sales skills have not, you are leaving money on the table. We have clients telling us that they're closing deals now that they thought were not even closable. So to attend our live event, go to salesdisruptors.com. And this is a live show, so ask your questions. Michael, the answer. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So first question for you is, what was your life like right before real estate? All right. I love this one. So right before real estate, I was working a nine-to-five job, actually at a hospital doing dietetics, Mm -hmm. and just kind of confused talking to the dietitians, realizing that I wasn't making that much money. And I wanted to start a family. And so that's what I was doing right before I found out about real estate. And then um, went to a seminar and like jumped in and the rest is history. Um, Working that. as a dietitian. Yeah. You said that was not enough. I mean, what kind of money were you making? I mean, gosh, I was making 30, probably 35,000. And I was not a dietitian. So I was a dietetic technician. And the dietitians who I was working with, like I was you know, subordinates with, they were making forty-five, fifty thousand a year, and they had master's degrees. I had an associate's degree. I was not wanting to continue on that path. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is, before, like, are you married? Yep. So I was married, um, and we just, yep, just bought a house. The kids are going to come here and, and down the road here. Okay. So very important part of the. So story. you just bought a home. With your wife, and this thirty-five thousand is not going to cut it. No. Okay, so you went to a seminar, you said. Correct. One of my buddies hit me up and said, "Hey, check out this seminar. It's um, you know, make money with little to no money down." And I'm like, "Cool." That, that title sounds really familiar. I think. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, "Let's go check it out. What, what do we have to lose?" Um, so we did. We went and checked it out, and I found out that you could make twenty, thirty thousand dollars wholesaling, and they're like. 
but you have to go to the next event and it's going to cost you 2000 bucks. I'm like, I don't have $2,000. Like I'm paycheck to paycheck and just bought this house and bought the house three cents in our name. Like didn't have any money. And so we put the money on the credit card. My friend talked me into it and we went to the three-day event. We're at that three-day event and they pitched another one. Mm-hmm. They're like, this one's 20000 And I'm like, dude, like, don't even, like, we're not going to go there. And yeah. he's like, they're telling us we need more help. And long story short, we ran our credit. We got approved for $50,000 of seed capital mm-hmm. and swiped the card. And got it. we went in. So at this time, you're in Nebraska or you're in Nevada? So I, I was in Nebraska at this time, okay. still living in my house that I owned, mm-hmm. that we just bought. So you're going to this conference. You swiped $3,000, you said? 2000 2000 yep. So you went to some smaller event, some sort of like $69, $99 event. Yep. They upsold you to a $2,000 event. Give you a little bit more information. Right. Left some information off the table. Right. Upsold you to a $20,000 event. 20000 yeah. For you and your buddy or each? Me and my buddy, he, he said he would split it. He didn't have the money, though, so it was a payment plan back. Mm-hmm. So I pretty much fronted everything. So 20K for the two of you. Yeah. Was that finally the right decision? Because it seemed like the first two were kind of like suspect. Well, yeah, the first, the first decision was like, what do we have to lose? Mm-hmm. And it was like, we don't even have close to enough information to feel like we know what we're going to do yeah. with this. The next decision was just added value, value, value. And we took it and started to run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't enough either. So mm-hmm. $22,000 in credit. Didn't know how I was going to pay it back. The best part about this story right, is... So like, the 20000 event still wasn't enough? No. Nope. It keeps going. It keeps going. But here's the best part. We get home uh, from this event. I had to call my wife um, and, and ask her, hey, like, how do you feel about this decision? And she says, well, I trust you. That's a lot of money, especially when we don't have any money. And go ahead and do what you feel is right. I'm like, okay. So I made the decision. I swiped the card. Get home from the event. And she says, hey, I got to show you something. I'm like, what's going on? This is weird. Like, you've never done this before. You're taking me to a room. What's going on here? Find out she's expecting. Mm -hmm. She shows me the pregnancy test. So not only do I just have credit card debt, a new house, I have a baby on the way. And I don't know how to do real estate investing mm-hmm. at all to this point, right? And so this all happened so fast. And we were off to the races. I, I just started failing forward. I'm working a full-time job trying to wholesale part-time. When was it exactly? So I was doing um, education for heart patients about how to eat like a you know, sodium-free diet or, <laughs> or whatever the thing was, right? Yeah. And it was just like... Yeah, it was it was not. But like, ideal. how long ago was this? That was five. That was five plus years ago. So five years ago. Yeah. So you go to this event, to this event, to this event, and you said that the twenty thousand still wasn't enough, and they tried to upsell you to something bigger. Right. Yeah. Or they're trying to upsell you to there from there. Yeah. Oh, I know, right? It's like how much more could we go into this? So what happened is, um, I I had my mentor. I was going through what they were telling me to do. I was making offers on the MLS. I had no sales process, no nothing. I was just trying to regurgitate all this information that they just threw in a drive. And like, I was just like overwhelmed. I mean, I'm barely finding the time to do anything. Right. And I got a call one day from the coaching company and they're like, Hey, how are things going? I'm like, uh, my wife's asking me what's going on. Like, this isn't working. We haven't gotten a deal yet. And we're four and a half, five months in. 
And they're like, oh, well, you need a, you need like a phone call, like one-on-one mentorship. So you need to do this. And at this point, I had probably $35,000 of credit on the card still. And like, I was hoping to use that for marketing because I, I didn't know any better. Right. And he's like, well, we have this special $25,000 and you can get this guy's cell phone, call him whenever you need to, oh. so on and so forth. Steve, I made the most emotional decision. I said, forget about it. I have nothing to lose. Put another 25000 on credit. Another, oh. another 25000 on credit. So this is all on me. 47000 40, $47, on credit. And I was barely making the bills the way it was. And so I was like just buried at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So did that eventually turn into a deal? Eventually it did. So here's what's funny. As if that wasn't enough, I, I was like, you know, go, go to the local meetups, like find people to rub shoulders with, right? Mm-hmm. So I did, and I met a guy who had done some coaching for Robert Kiyosaki um, through his Rich Dad seminar education, and it was a hands-on, in-person training. And so when I started rubbing shoulders with him, I actually started to see how these negotiations are done. I started to see how were we finding deals all of this other information for the $45,000, it was probably telling me that, but I wasn't hearing it because my learning approach was different mm-hmm. and, and well-received over here. Yeah. So I called a Zillow lead on a Sunday. Um, this is six months in to this journey. And it was a tired landlord, went straight to the appointment, got the property under contract, put it out on an investor group, sold it for 30000 above what we contracted it for. Mm-hmm. And that day, I looked at my wife and I'm like, this is it. Yeah. This is why I went through this six months of pain to get to this point because this is going to change your life forever. Yeah. That's huge. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Do you think if you didn't spend 47.5, this would happen anyway? Or do you think that was a necessary investment at least to f- get you framed right to start doing deals? Yeah. I, gosh, I think about that a lot, man. I think it's, it was part of the journey. I really think that was needed because had I not had the skin in the game, I may have just been comfortable continuing yeah. to go like I was. And I had to get so uncomfortable mm. to put that much money on. And it was painful, man. Sure. Yeah. So you, you got this deal of Zillow's for sale by owner? Yep. For sale by owner. You call them, tire landlord, you contract it, and then you sold it for 30 k Yeah. Um, were there challenges with this deal? You, you know how the first deal goes. <laughs> right. So what were some of those challenges? Yeah. So the first, the first thing that happened was, I'll never forget this, man. We accepted the offer. Well, let's start with this. We had an inspection. I told the seller our partners are going to be coming through, right? Sure. The typical, hey, my partners are going to be coming through. Yeah. 15 people showed up. Very partners. De- yeah, 15 partners, <laughs> right? 15 people. The very desirable uh, building. It was a brick fourplex. Contracted for 180000 So mm-hmm. just a little bit of context. Seller's like, man, you have a lot of partners. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I didn't realize this many people would show up. Like, I didn't know this many investors would be that interested, right? Uh, didn't frame it correctly because I didn't know what I was doing. Right. You don't know what you don't know. Didn't know what I didn't know. The guy's offer we accepted wasn't just a clean cash offer. It was through an agent. Mm-hmm. So we not only had to pay an agent fee with all these disclosures, we had to go through a line of credit. The bank wanted an appraisal, told them it was a cash deal. We had the bank come back with the appraisal. Me, 
the investor or the, the appraiser and the seller standing right there. The appraisal just got finished. He's looking at his paperwork. He says, man, I'm confused here. The purchase price says 180, but the appraisal needs to be at 211. Like I'm confused here, man. What's going on? <laughs> and I, my heart just dropped. I'm like, I don't know. Like my partner's, you know, my partner's <laughs> coming in and buy this property with me. He's like, man, the seller goes, man, he kind of smiled. Like he, he knew what was going on. And he was like, I left a lot of money on the table, didn't I? <laughs> and I'm just like, uh, yeah, I mean, I needed this deal to go through. Mm. Like I needed this deal to go through. And so that happened. Um, we had a COC inspection, all of these things come up on the list. The seller's like, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking around, I'm like, I don't have the money to even pay anybody to do this. Well, I guess I'm doing these repairs. I'm changing out door locks. I'm doing these repairs that I have no business doing. Mm-hmm. And it was like 45 days in, we finally closed. And I'll tell you what, man, the biggest relief when I picked up that check that day at that oh, closing. I bet, I oh, bet. It was painful. But I love that you were out there doing the work. So like... You know, I don't talk about this a lot, but, you know, part of my journey was, I mean, I remember selling condos for $30,000 where I had to go, like, change, like, the mailbox lock, right, just to get the deal closed. And it's, like, 3% on $30,000 not a lot of money. No. Right? So, you know, but you do it in the hot sun and you're dealing with the post office and this and that. Like, there are a lot of things that you kind of forget were involved in getting started. So it's cool. Like, you did the dirty work, get your way here. So 15 partners, that's awesome. Dealing with appraisal, dealing with a uh, certificacy, was it uh, certification of occupancy? Was That's, it? Yep, yep. Right, so you go through that, and then it closes. Mm-hmm. Was it smooth after that? Uh, I mean, questionably, after the certificate of occupancy was satisfied, it was pretty smooth sailing from there. Got it. But I was holding my breath all the way to the day of closing. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So how did it feel then when you did pick up that check? It was just like the most relieving thing and it was like this weird feeling of like okay this is real Mm. like it was weird before that because i'm like i don't know if this is even real like i hear people talking about it all the time but it it didn't seem real and then to realize that i made that much money in one transaction when i had made thirty thousand on my year my job that year oh yeah it was such a mind like just the top popped off it was crazy yeah how do your wife feel about all this she was extremely happy, um, as you can imagine, because yeah. she was starting to doubt me. She was starting to, she, she never doubted me, but she was starting to question, mm-hmm. like, hey, what's going on here? Is this really going to work for you? We've got this credit card. I know you're stressed out because I can see your eyes are bloodshot. Like, you're not sleeping. What's yeah. going on here? And then when she saw that, she was like, okay, yeah. this, is, this is, there's something here. So there's six months of like hustle and everything else, right? Yeah. It's like, what were you doing to get deals up? Like you got this other mentorship or whatever you want to call it. Uh-huh. What was involved in that? What were you doing in that one for meeting the people in Urea? Yeah. So I was just going on the MLS. I seeked out an agent and I was making offers on all of these properties on the MLS. You pay $47,000 to learn how to reach out to a realtor? Basically. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. And like there were other things, right? Um, but like I said, I mean, I was so overwhelmed. I'm like, I just got to stick to one thing mm-hmm. to see if this is going to work. And clearly at that time, this was, this was five years ago. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't working. Cause like, I thought maybe I'd just make a low ball offer and somebody just accept it. I wasn't following up. I wasn't doing things like how obviously we know we should. Right. 
at that time. And then the mentors deal was, I didn't get to keep that full 30,000. It was, let's do six deals together. And I honored those six deals and we would split the profits. How much? Six deals for, for uh, 50%, 50%. Yeah. You pay 25K? I paid him 2,500. Which about hundred? Yep. So the, I paid the forty-seven five to the company. Mm-hmm. I paid this guy over here twenty-five hundred bucks. Oh, the new mentor. The new mentor. Got it. No, the one, that makes the total one, sense. The, the one that I actually took. No, in I thought you were saying the one you pay twenty-five k. You got to pay him too. Like, oh, sheesh. No, 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 no. Okay. So, uh, what would have happened if that first deal never closed? We wouldn't probably be sitting right here today. Um, I, I would have continued to go and I would have figured it out. But mm-hmm. that twenty thousand dollars net profit or whatever it was, was needed. It was necessary because what was happening is we had 16 months of 0% interest on these credit cards. The day I quit my job, which was about a year and a half into that journey, was the day that that last dollar of credit card debt was paid off. So it was like, I got to do this, pay this off before I take any profits. So I was just barely paying myself enough mm-hmm. to get to that point. Gotcha. Um, how did you continue, right? So you closed your first deal off of Zillow. How did you continue your momentum? Yeah. So from there, I figured out what driving for dollars was. Mm-hmm. Um, started driving the streets, started getting aggressive, started going and knocking on some doors. And I was driving by, um, I, and I started sending p- postcards out. So I was cold calling and then sending those people who I drove for dollars on postcards. And so I started getting deals from that. Um, I got six deals that first year from basically July through the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And then that, that's about the time my wife started realizing, hey, we have something here. This, right. is, this is starting to get more consistent. And by the way, you're only spending seven hours a week on this. Yeah. So what were the other obstacles that came up early on in your, in your journey? Other obstacles, man, where do we start? Um, I mean, capital is a big one. Um, we, we took on probably more than we could chew mm-hmm. right out of the gate. Um, In what way? So the first, after the first year, I had sold a lot of the same deals to my now business partner. I actually cold called him off of for rent sign seeing if he wanted to sell that property. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, you're out there. I can see you're active. I want to quit my job. You want to quit your job why don't we talk about going into business together? Mm -hmm. So felt it out. At that point, I was on top of the world because I figured out how to wholesale real estate, right? Right. I made some some money and uh, we had decided to join forces. So 2019, we decided let's partner, let's start our company, Rocket Home Buyers, and let's quit our jobs and let's go full time. Yeah. And so we did that. And the biggest challenge in the beginning was just like capital because we were taking $1,000 out of our own personal bank accounts before we were making any money for the first five months as a business and just contributing it into marketing, mm-hmm. $1,000 each, just consistently. And then four months in, we got our first deal. And so it was just, that was the most difficult piece. And then as we continue to get momentum and deals, um, we're like, we got to find all money. Like we mm-hmm. have six contracts how are we going to buy these houses, mm-hmm. right? So capital was a big thing. So what did you do to solve that problem? So we seeked out some relationships. And um, the first year, we used a lot of hard money. So we used probably, we probably bought 15 houses the first year mm-hmm. in our partnership. 
with hard money. So then it sounds like you guys were really more closing on deals than wholesaling them. We were closing on more of them because my partner, just as a background, he he had flipped houses. Mm-hmm. He's he's a bit older than me, and he had uh, real estate appraisal experience, and he had experience flipping, and so he was like, "Well, you're not wholesaling this property. We can make twenty five thousand, thirty thousand, and this investor only wants to pay us five. Mm-hmm. So if it were just me, I would flip this property. And I'm like, right. okay, cool. I, I trust your judgment." Let's go ahead and flip these properties. Okay. So we And that was the right decision. One hundred percent. Gotcha. One hundred percent. So then were there I mean, I know it took six months, right? Of struggling. What doubts did you face along the way? Yeah, so doubts, I mean, what happens if this doesn't work out? Um, what if I can't pay these bills? Mm-hmm. I mean, what if I bring my daughter into this world in nine months and I don't have this figured out. Like there was, I mean, that's just to name a few, right? There were so many doubts. And how'd you overcome those? I started taking the negative habits that I had, um, the circle of friends that I had at that time, and just tunnel vision. I started reading books. I started waking up earlier. I started studying on the weekends and the evenings. I was focused. I was reading. I was understanding values in real estate. And I just cut all the negative junk out of my life. And, and big surprise, like it was what exactly I needed to do. That's awesome. It's awesome that you're able to figure that out early on in your career. Uh, when, when exactly did your business, you like, man, like, this is it. This is a real deal. I can, I can comfortably rely, like, this is going to be my career. Yeah, this is, this is a unique question because um, I, I'd say for like the first like year to two years in a business, it's kind of like you don't really know, especially if you don't have a team mm-hmm. working for you. So I would say when I started to really feel like we were onto something was when we had team. We had a transaction coordinator. We had an acquisition manager. And he was buying the houses. They were transacting it. And like deals were still happening mm-hmm. without my active involvement. Yeah. And that was when I was like, cool. Like we can build this up and continue to scale. How long ago was that? So that was that was about a year, I think two, about a year and a half to two years in. I mean, I was the one closing all the deals. I was hustling um, the first year, the second year. And when when it really was an aha to me, Steve, is when I moved to Vegas. We haven't even talked about that yet. Right. But when I moved to Vegas and I closed my first deal over the phone, and the investor who went to look at the property who bought this wholesale deal from me he said, uh-huh. dude, how did you buy this house from Las Vegas? I know you're, I know you're in Vegas right now. Right. How'd you do this? I'm like... Uh-huh. Well, like they told me that they had an offer for 120 and I asked them what would they need to get this done today? And they said 121. I said, cool, I'll send it over and we'll get it done. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And like, yeah. that was like an aha for me. Cause I'm like, I could truly be anywhere in the whole world and buy that same house. Right. And it was just like a, another mind shift. What are some of the biggest victories for you along the way? You know, the victories, I would say, Gosh, this is, there's been so many wins, right? But when you can take and teach what you know to another individual, mm-hmm. so for in, in my case, it was my first acquisition manager, and have them start having the same type of success, that to me is the most fulfilling thing ever. Yeah. To show what you know to somebody else for them to go and do and have the same results. 
Got it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what was the biggest uh, deal you've done so far? Yeah. So, I mean, we're playing in Nebraska, right? So, medium price point, 240, 250. Um, so, we don't have these California spreads. We've got to preface it with this. We did two six figure flips in small towns in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. Yeah. Super cool deals. And they were like the easiest deals ever because it was a Google ad. There was no competition on it. The seller told me what they needed. I contracted the house over the phone and we bought a house for 17. We put probably 35, 40 into it. We sold it for 165. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. Those, those are pretty, pretty awesome. Deals. It was pretty nice. Yeah. So, what brought you from Lincoln to Vegas? Yeah. So my wife's sister had lived out there for a mm -hmm. few years and she's like, guys, why are you still living in Nebraska? <laughs> Nebraska's winters are brutal. We just got done with a terrible winter. And we're like, I don't know, like kind of scary to move across the country. Right. Mm -hmm. We just had a baby. Um, I just got this job and things were not comfortable. Thank God, because if they were, we might still be there. Yeah. Um, but she was like, you guys would love it out here. Come visit. My wife just turned 21 mm -hmm. at that time. We went out there to visit and we came back and we said, we're going to move. Like, yeah. we're going to sell the house. It was, it was an immediate, unanimous decision. It was easy. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we went out there. We're like going to the pools, like just like hiking and like experiencing everything. Right. And we're like, this is it. Mm -hmm. Like, we've got to sell our house. My wife actually approached me. She's like, hey, in order for you to quit your job, you've, we've got to sell the house. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean sell the house? Like, this is the American dream, right? right? Like, this is why we work so hard. And she's like, no, like, in order for you to take this business to where I know you want to take it to, we need to sell the house. And so mm -hmm. we sold the house. And the day that money hit my bank account, mm -hmm. paid off the rest of the credit card debt. And we found a short-term lease until we found a place in Vegas. And adios. <laughs> so, I'm doing, you know, 100 deals, right? So, for someone that's listening right now, what would they have to do to be able to build a virtual wholesaling business? Absolutely. So, I think the first thing is, is you've, you've got to know how each department of the business operates. So, you need to learn how to do it yourself. Mm. I feel like you, that's, that's really important. And, from there, if you have capital, some mm. people watching this may not have the capital. Right. And so if you have the capital, then you can start to bring on team members, right? So step one is you got to do deals successfully by yourself first. Understand the process. Yeah. Yep. Know what you're doing and how to do it. And I say that, and it might sound totally like ludicrous, right? Like that sounds so basic. But the reality is there are a lot of people that just get in and just start hiring VAs, just start spending money on marketing. And they don't even know how to do the transaction all the way from A to Z, right? Because like, there's all this information out there. You know, we're guilty of putting out that information. You know, YouTube University. But I've heard countless people that are trying to scale with VAs and this and that, and they haven't even closed their first deal yet. Yeah. Right? So step one is start doing deals by yourself. That would be an amazing place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And then after that, you say once you have capital, you would hire. So who's the first person you're hiring if you're doing your business virtually, right? Let's just say going back to your example right now, right? You're in Vegas, you're doing deals in the Midwest. Who's the first person you hire? Transaction coordinator. Okay. Yep. Transaction team, admin, paperwork, get that out of here as quick as possible. 
Okay, is that uh, virtual? It could be. So is this yeah. a person that's living in the market you're doing business with, or they could live anywhere in the country, or are they like overseas? Could be either way. Um, however you doesn't want to matter. set up your business, it, it doesn't matter. Okay, so you hire a transaction coordinator, mm-hmm. and they're and they're offloading. What activities again? So they're doing like any admin work, any paperwork, um, transaction coordination, communication with title, payoffs, all of the stuff that transaction. So for you, does. it's TC slash admin. It's not straight transaction coordinator. Right. Okay. It was it was in the beginning. Okay. Yep. And they got TC slash admin. Uh, how many deals are you doing at this point? At this point, I had done probably thirty five deals mm-hmm. before before we made that first hire. Right. I'm kind of like uh, somebody who just has a hard time giving up things. Like I love closing, mm-hmm. so I want to be on the phones. And so the, that was the first thing I needed to get rid of is just the paperwork stuff that kind of drained me. Mm-hmm. And then it was acquisitions. I knew I needed to give up acquisitions, but I had a really hard time with it. How many deals a month were you doing when you hired TC? We were probably doing three to four. It was okay. about a deal a week, I would say. Okay. And then after that, you hired an acquisition manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your deal volume when you hired that person? At, so this is a fun one. Uh, at this point, we had done right at about a million bucks. Mm-hmm. And the reason I know that very specifically is because the acquisition manager that we still have today, he came from an insurance sales business with phone sales. And he said, like, dude, this is like, you're a new business. Like, this is like, taking a pretty big leap of faith. He asked me for our tax returns mm-hmm. and I gave it to him. I said, Hey, like, this is what you can expect. Like we made a million bucks mm-hmm. and here's how you would be compensated off of this million bucks. And by the way, this is where we're going. We're not going backwards. We're going this way. Yeah. And so I had to really sell him on why he should come work with us. And I yeah. think that million year was two years in and we had done right around 60 deals gotcha. that year. Same question here, because I'm asking. I'm asking all these questions because you're running a virtual business. Yeah. Right. Where's that acquisition manager at? This is good. So, our market in Nebraska, he's there. Mm-hmm. So I'm virtual. He's in the market that we do business in. Mm-hmm. That was not always that way. We had a guy. Pri- we had a. We had another guy that we tested in another market, mm-hmm. and. The personality of, of that closer wasn't somebody who's going to be building rapport and closing deals over the phone. The guy who we have in Omaha, mm-hmm. he doesn't go on every appointment. Yeah, He could, but he knows how to close over the phone. Yeah, And we don't just do deals in that market. We do deals in other markets too. So we can get into that, but we've done deals all over the place. Sure. So TC, then acquisition manager, and that guy can handle what? How many deals a month can that guy handle? He probably single-handedly closed 50 deals last year. Okay. Six, maybe 60. So what is that? Four, 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 five five, four or five a month. Yeah. yeah, I would say about one a week is, is where he can consistently perform. Um, obviously, our expectations are higher. So mm-hmm. like, you know, two, three, ideally. Right. But obviously, yeah. And then um, there's a dispo person to move the deals? Yep. Who's doing that? So we have a gentleman who he was in Texas. He moved. 
Um, but yeah, he's full time and that's all he does. Just disposition. Got it. Yeah. And then you got lead manager. We have three lead managers. So three lead managers for one or two acquisition managers. For three acquisition managers. Three lead managers for three acquisition managers. Yep. Okay. So the acquisition managers are uh, not necessarily market specific. Lead manager, are they stateside or overseas? So these ones, we, we had to let somebody go, um, unfortunately, who was in states. Um, but what I found is uh, Central America, Belize is where we have all mm -hmm. three of them. They're very understanding of our language, mm -hmm. and they do a great job. And so yeah. they're in Belize. Gotcha. And then, uh, and I asked this question because, like, you know, Jason Lewis, Jason Lewis and I, right? He's obviously in Investor Fuel, mm -hmm. right? So he's got Investor Machine, and we collaborated to create a lead manager training program. Okay. And he's of the belief that you want American lead managers because when a homeowner calls in and there's any hint of an accent, you can lose all sorts of rapport. Obviously, your perspective is a little bit different. So, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so this has been like a really, I would say this is a limiting belief. Mm -hmm. And I talked to Jason Lewis about this at the yeah. last investor field, yeah. and I still got to connect him, but I wanted to test these out first so I can make my own opinion. I mean, we didn't let the person in the States go um, because they were outperforming her. It was just like a performance issue. But mm -hmm. for, for that belief, it's, if you let it, conversations go too long and they start asking too many questions and there's too much of a language barrier, yeah, you're going to lose a lot of trust, mm -hmm. especially if you're dealing with like some older crowd or demographic. Mm -hmm. But with the way we do it is we have a very brief conversation. We get the four pillars and we get that out of the way. And if there's motivation and it qualifies for a pass off, they're getting pushed over to our acquisition manager, ideally live transfer or call back ASAP to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. Because if they can just say, hey, I'm not going to be the one going over numbers with you. It's going to be Justin, my home buying specialist. He'll be the one to go over that with you um, and get them on the phone ASAP. It usually is not going to be a big deal. It's for those people who start to ask too many questions and the sure. conversation gets too long and maybe they're overqualifying. That's when it can become an issue. So you mentioned uh, the handoff, the transfer, live transfer, ideally. What software are you guys using for live transfers? So we've been using Resimply. Mm -hmm. I was a Podio guy for the first three years in business, and I had spent way too many hours in time uh, trying to work with the developer to customize this as we continue to build this out. And I just like, I can't do this anymore. I yeah. can't take it. Like, this is just too much. And so um, we switched to ReSimply, just like a turnkey system for mm -hmm. it. And for the longest time, they didn't have some of the features. And so like, we were just being as patient as we can. We yeah. almost switched to Salesforce. They just came out with a life transfer feature. Gotcha. Um, and then uh, you got, okay, so three acquisitions, three lead managers, one dispo? Yep. Okay. And then what are your lead sources that are doing well? I think I heard you say Google Ads earlier, or at least one of your deals was Google Ads. So what are your lead sources predominantly? Yeah, so Google Ads has been steady Eddie. Um, we've used that one since day one. And then um, it's ever-changing. You know how it goes. Uh, you know, texting and cold calling have been hit and miss, and TV has been a big one for us. Yeah. Shout out to Tony Javier. Mm -hmm. uh, helped us get on TV, and so uh, what I love about that is is we're a big fan of inbound. So yeah. people calling us, people seeing us as the authority in the market, and so 
TV, Google ads. God, I love direct mail. Um, yeah. it, it works. I don't care what anybody says. It works. Maybe not in Phoenix. <laughs> it works in Phoenix. Um, so then I guess doing TV, you got to be in a market then, right? Because TV doesn't work if you're not in a, uh, if you're doing virtually, I guess, let me ask this another way. The big appeal for virtual is that you can do Google nationwide or whatever. Yep. Right. But if you're doing TV, you're generally planting a flag in the ground. Absolutely. So what markets are you doing TV in? Yeah. So we are doing TV in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And then we rolled out a campaign in South Dakota as well. Gotcha. So we are focusing on the Midwest, specifically mm -hmm. Nebraska. I would say majority, even though we do a lot of virtual. And when I say virtual, we do have a very specific market. We're not uh, casting a net nationwide and doing deals in every market in, like intentionally, right? Mm -hmm. We're very strategic about the markets that we do select. So we know, we, we, we know what we can do in our main market where we have a footprint. And we know how to do deals with Google Ads anywhere in the country. Yeah. So we want to just pick markets where we feel good about that we have buyers for because you reinvent a new wheel every market you open up. Right. It's it's a it's a lot more work than um, what maybe you've heard. So, sure. Yeah. Uh, so then, what is your budget then between uh, TV, Google Ads, and direct mail? Forty-five. Forty-five thousand. Where is the majority of it going to? Fifteen of that's going to TV. So that's not a lot. It's reasonable. It's reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's reasonable. Another fifteen, um, depending on the month. Yeah. Twenty on Google mm -hmm. Ads, and then we're probably five on direct mail. That's not bad at all. Not bad at all. Uh, but we're not. We're we're not. I've done this before, where I've sent out mail to fifty thousand people. And it is so painful because you, you basically spend $20,000 on the campaign mm -hmm. and you know what's going to come back. It's just scary, right? right? So we do Facebook marketing as well. Didn't mm -hmm. touch on that one, but that one's been, a lot of people don't know about Facebook. We've yeah. done Facebook for three plus years. Gotcha. We, we consistently spend probably a couple grand on that a month. Okay. Yep. So uh, another question then. Oh, by the way, you say, you know, 15 uh, grand a month, like, Tony Javier was back on the show late last year. He's like, you can get started if you need 15 kids. Like, really? All right, well, then I guess we're going to try that. He told me the same thing for Las Vegas. Yeah. I'm like, really? Do yeah. I, I want to compete against Ryan Pineda? <laughs> Why not, right? I mean, Why not? Go baby, go home. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, you got, you say you're a big fan of inbound, and we're talking about the lead managers, right, being in Belize or Central America. So I see you. Is it your face on the ads? Yep. All right, so I see your TV commercial. I pick up the phone and I call in. Who's answering the phone? Yep. So this has changed a little bit. I had my in-state lead manager mm -hmm. processing those calls. Yeah. And it got to the point where we felt like we were overqualifying people. And then my mm -hmm. acquisition manager would call them back anyway mm -hmm. to have another conversation. And then we started getting, hey, the lady before just asked me that question. Why am I answering the same questions again? And so I started forwarding those to my acquisitions team. Mm -hmm. And so my main acquisitions guy in the market that we do TV, who knows the area, um, started answering those calls. And yeah. then if he was on an appointment, if he wasn't able to take those calls, it went to an answering service. They processed it. They submitted the form. And then we 
jumped on it. The lead manager would jump on it then Got at that it. point. So uh, I guess a question for you then, for me, just out of curiosity, if you've got boots on the ground in that market, why are you doing it virtually? Or we're saying that Michael's doing it virtually, but you have him going on face-to-face appointments. In that market, there's really no reason why we're doing it virtually besides okay. the fact of some situations call for it, mm-hmm. other ones don't. So for example, he knows that if this, lady, this, if this seller is telling us they're sick of the property, they're over it, they've basically spilled the beans mm-hmm. on everything that we need to know, and then we've determined that the price that they want works, mm-hmm. we're just going to contract the house. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to buy it. And then we still got to validate and verify and, right. and do our due diligence. Um, in other cases, though, if, if it's an older seller, mm-hmm. I think it's really important to go belly to belly with those types yeah. of people. Um, whether if it's a boots on the ground or whether if it's your acquisition manager, mm-hmm. um, trust is so important. Like if, if, you, if these people can't shake your hand, you don't even exist. Right. right? Well, I mean, I just think, it, and this is totally a limiting belief, right? But I'm just thinking Midwest, right? The Midwest, the South. If they can't shake your hand, right, like, why would they do business with you? But you're also still doing a lot virtually, though. We are. And one of our biggest wholesale deals this year so far, which in Omaha, Mm -hmm. um, $46,000 assignment fee, was a situation where the lead came in on a Sunday. It was an absentee in here, like, just a vacant house. And the lady um, just gave us a review lately, even though we closed in the first month of the year. Mm -hmm. And it was actually a very interesting case study. Um, she was the demographic we're talking about and she didn't like, she was uncertain the whole time. She's like, this seems too easy. Like, why did I not show you the house? Why did you buy the house over the phone? Like, I haven't seen anybody. Like she started to ask these questions and and in her review, I'm not, I'm not very happy about it, but she left us a four star because we, we we go for five star service. Mm -hmm. You know, that's important for our brand. And so um, anyway, I, I asked my transaction team, I'm like, why was this said? Like, was some expectation not set of like what they could expect? And and I think there was something that was miscommunicated, right? Yeah. Um, but that's just the proof that that demographic values that in-person experience. Yeah. Uh, what questions have I not asked you about virtual that you typically get? Do you get the contract first or do you get somebody to look at the house mm-hmm. first? That's a question that I get all the time. And my answer has changed on this. I was a big believer in, hey, why would the seller sell me the house if I haven't seen it? Mm. Well, that belief system came from not asking good enough questions. Sure. So if we dial in our questions and get specific about the age of the roof, the furnace, the HVAC, all these things, then the seller knows, hey, I've given them everything that I pretty much have. Mm -hmm. And so the process is we take that information back to our team they let us know what the property qualifies for. Mm-hmm. We simply deliver that to the seller, and then we negotiate the deal and get the contract. But we still set the expectation that we're going to go ahead and still have our investors, our partners. And sure. depending on the circumstances, we may not even be the one to buy it mm-hmm. um, if it's an ovation. And so we do set that stage, and we do get the contract first. When does the due, the due diligence start? The day the contract is executed. So one thing that we've done for ourselves when we were doing it a lot virtually was a 14-day due diligence period did not begin until after we got access or photos. I like that. All right, so it gave us a little bit more time, right? So, and then it also put urgency on the homeowner because there were times where they're like, I don't want to send you photos. Now we got to play this game. Like, you're not sending me photos to like a week before close of escrow. This isn't going to work for anybody. Oh, man. I can't tell you how many times 
we've had deals almost die and in some die yeah because the seller says that they'll send us photos but it never happens right and so we really try to put an emphasis on that up front Mm -hmm. and if we don't if we get the impression that they're just not going to ever get us the photos yeah we just hire somebody to go out and take Mm -hmm. them for us and yeah and then that eliminates that but that gave us the ability to instill some sort of urgency uh in, in the homeowner right um one thing you wrote down about here was team building so talk to me about team building. Yeah. So for me, like, I didn't want to create a high-paying job. Um, I knew from the first year in real estate that there was a lot of money to be made in this business. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't, like, don't get me wrong. Like, uh, you got to make money, right? You got to be making money to be in business. But for me, I was more intrigued about how can I build this up to the point where if I am with my family, if I'm on vacation or if I'm doing something that doesn't require me talking to a seller, the transactions are still going to happen. Mm-hmm. So my vision for the company was how can we build this up to we have a team, they have the tools, the resources, everything that they need to be able to go out and execute. Yeah. So that was the importance for the team piece. And then for that, for, for next, is we just started thinking to ourselves, okay, well, how many leads do, does each acquisition manager need to do X, Y, Z? And then we just reverse engineered it. Mm-hmm. So we started thinking in terms of, okay, this they need this many leads, or we're going to have to spend this much more marketing, got to bring in this many leads, and then this is the average profit. So we just started really taking everything from like the beginning and then working it backwards and then plugging in more marketing, plugging in more people. And the team thing has been a work in progress. I know we'll talk about maybe some some lessons and stuff like that, but I would say building a team virtually Mm-hmm. has certainly had its challenges. What would you say is the biggest challenge building it virtually versus building it, you know, within an office? Yeah. So, I mean, I love in-person energy. I love being able to high-five somebody. You're a very somebody. energetic person. I, I, I've been told that. Yeah. I, yeah, and some, and yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But right. my point is, I, I just, the energy in person is exciting. And like, when you can go high-five somebody, you can ring the bell, you can, see something happen in real time and then be able to point that out and call that out and Mm -hmm. solve a problem where speed is important when it comes to these deals. And so my point with all that said is virtually we can do our daily huddles. We can do our numbers. We can go over everything that we need to go over, but you don't get that same energy. Right. We're competing for a belt right now Mm -hmm. and I'm on, I'm on that. I'm trying to step out of it, but I, I got to keep my acquisition guys hungry and motivated. And so I'll close a deal every now and then. Mm-hmm. I'll jump in there and I'll close a deal. And so these guys um, getting that excitement every single day when you're just sitting in your own office at home, like not in an office environment, it can be, it can be challenging. Yeah. You know, for somebody who's motivated, it's like no big deal, but I own the business. Like they're not going to be as excited. Probably. So how do you replace that because you're saying with everything that's like more challenging what did you do to to rectify that yeah so i mentioned the belt um so that's just something we can have fun about so belts for all the acquisition managers whoever's buying houses yep so what 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 does it take to win that belt they have to be at the end of the month top projected profits Mm -hmm. and um this is a new thing so this is a work in progress because we've been asking like this is a challenge by the way We've been asking all of our mastermind friends, like, hey, 
who runs virtual teams, what's the best approach for this team bonding and all this. And so that's one thing. Um, giveaways. So we still have a wheel. Mm-hmm. It's a virtual wheel. You know, it sounds silly, right? But in office, people have wheels. And so each week we'll, we'll spin the wheel for somebody who went above and beyond and, and recognize them. Um, we did a rock star of the month. So mm-hmm. uh, somebody who stood out, we nominated them and we, we talked about them personally. So it's just getting to know them, not on a business level, yeah. but like today before I came here, I had lunch with my acquisition manager who lives in Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yep. So I got to do some team bonding there and, and just really get to know our people. And so we have a recruiter. Didn't mention that. That's all she does is team uh, bonding and team exercises. And we have surveys and questions and things that we can really start to understand, like, something that they're not going to tell me, like, yeah. in, in passing, right? Okay, so you got a recruiter. Um, where is she at? She's in California. She's in California. Yep. So then, you know, we talked about all the different people, so I apologize. So you get the acquisition, disposition, TC, recruiter. What other seats are at your company? Uh, that we haven't talked about. Yep. So we haven't talked about, we have a, an IT um, gentleman who has mm-hmm. really helped us with our website, really helped us with SEO efforts. Yeah. And so he's an expert in that. I have a social media manager who helps us with uh, Google, Facebook advertising, mm-hmm. and then just like the creative copy. Yeah. Um, let's see, who, who am I missing here? I have an acquisition manager in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, virtual works, but... I do like the idea of having a central location. I don't care if you have a central location and you do deals in another state. I think having a central location eventually is something that I want to get back to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something that I know like uh, Ryan and I, uh, we just ran a sales leadership this past weekend. That's what we talked about. Like, even if they're in all these multiple markets, there's still a preference for like everyone in the same office. Right. That's one of the challenges. Sure. Um, so I want to get into audience's questions, but before we do, just a quick, quick message. I mean, everything. I mean, lit, just the, the pers- persuasion skills and the scripts that he taught us and the techniques and just overall, it's like just learning A to Z on how, how to go out and go, go right on an appointment with the seller and make the most out of it and, you know, different exit strategies and whether you're wholesale innovation, just everything. You got a whole new new arsenal of tools you can use directly with sellers just going on an appointment right now who knowing what I know now I mean a lot like just in terms of just you know having sellers where we listed their houses and just you know listing appointments that we could have wholesaled or could have flipped or just different exit strategies definitely definitely a lot of money that we left on the table what type of person would benefit from the sales training anybody anybody in sales anybody in general I mean just like communicating with family, with friends. I mean, you know, any salesperson, especially real estate, solar, I mean, just anybody in general, I think would would benefit from the sales training. All right, so first question on YouTube is DCP1. How are you handling walkthroughs virtually? Hopefully not 15 partners walking through. Very carefully. (laughs) Very, very carefully. <laughs> so this is a this is ever changing. Every situation is different. So in some circumstances, we may have one buyer or two buyers, and we yeah. can set the stage with the seller. We can set the stage with the buyers. Listen, 
every conversation, the buyers might ask you about price. The buyers might ask you questions. Don't worry about that. They'll get back to us. We'll have that conversation about price, anything like that. Um, so that's the first scenario. It's maybe a couple people. If you have a deal where you have 15 investors, please don't send them to the house without <laughs> anybody. Um, in that case, we'll hire uh, an agent. Sure. So we'll consult with an agent. We'll say, hey, would you be able to go do this house? Um, just open it up. Here's what to expect. 100 bucks. Yeah. And most agents will tell you you're nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, wouldn't do that for 100 bucks. And if that's the case, you can negotiate with them. Or mm-hmm. um, worst case scenario, you find somebody on Craigslist. And right. I don't recommend that because you never know who you're going to get. So <laughs> find a professional, ideally. So you said that those are the expectations you set for the homeowner. What expectations are you setting for the, for the buyers? Yeah, so for the buyers, um, it's pretty consistent. So I think the, the key with this business is you want to make sure that your message with the seller is consistent, especially if you're wholesaling with the seller as it is with the buyers, as it is with your acquisitions team, your transaction team. Everybody's telling the seller the same thing. Otherwise, what's going to happen is people just get confused. So for our message with the buyer, it's just like, hey, um, we've got the property under contract. It, you know, we're simply just going to take the highest and best offer. So once you look at the property, uh, please go ahead and just send us your highest and best offer. We'll be making a decision this day, this time. Yeah. And that's it. Cool. Uh, Strat Daddy on Instagram wants to know, how did you grow your team, sales team virtually? Yeah. So this is, sh- shout out to, uh, shout out to Josh and Tiffany mm-hmm. for helping us with the teams. Mm-hmm. Josh and Tiffany, hi. Yeah. They've really helped me create a framework around this. And so we weren't having like daily huddles. We didn't have reports. We didn't have like very clear expectations. Mm -hmm. Now that we've implemented some things, every single day, the same time, the same place, we always do our numbers. We always um, do daily training. We're always looking to improve. At the end of the week, we're going to review the goal. So we'll set the goal at the beginning of the week. And at the end of the week, we're going to talk about it today. You know, we're, it's Wednesday. Maybe the goal is a hundred thousand for the week projected profit. Mm-hmm. There's a percentage. How much profit do we have on the board? And so my point is with all this is it's, it's just expectations and accountability. Yeah. And that's how we can manage it virtually. How are you uh, sourcing talent though? Good question. So we have a recruiter. Um, we use wise hire mm-hmm. to hire and she is just looking for rock stars. Um, yeah. uh, her full-time job is to find talent mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's a work in progress always. Sure. Like we're always looking for rock stars. Um, the wise hire ads, is there anything you guys are doing differently or are you guys just doing the same thing as everybody else? Yeah, so I don't know what everybody else is doing. I, I know what I did mm-hmm. uh, when I first started hiring. I had one conversation and I said, you got the job because I'm like, <laughs> I don't have time for this, right? <laughs> and so now that we have a recruiter, we do have a process. Mm-hmm. So the first conversation, it's culture. Yeah, We're going to get to know, they're going to get to know who we are. We're going to get to know who they are. What's our culture? Um, the second conversation, that's going to be more about maybe their job history and the position specifically. And then the third third one might be, Ideally, it's like an in-person, like, let's see if we even like this person, mm-hmm. their personality. Um, and then that's, that's pretty much it. We have a three, three to four step, depending on the person in the position hiring process. Gotcha. 
Tim Harridge on Facebook says Mike's a beast. He was on the show last week. That guy, a monster, what he's been able to accomplish. Uh, Dean Rogers on Facebook. Which do you think is better, going all in on one market versus going smaller in several markets? I really like this question, Dean. This is a good one, man. Um, I've been so back and forth about this because I know the power of national multiple markets. I still think it's best to go all in on one market. Mm -hmm. Because if I look at all of our revenue from last year, 80% of it was done in one market. Yeah, We have deals, and we've had good deals close in virtual markets, um, but we can't run TV. We can't go as heavy on the marketing, all these markets. So, mm -hmm. I mean, if we had an unlimited budget, we could. Right. So we're, I'm, I'm, I'm big on focusing on a couple or one market and then going from there. Gotcha. Um, and then Steve Estrada on IG, what are your thoughts on PropWire? Have you looked into it? PropWire? I've never heard of it. I believe it's a PropStream competitor uh, from our good friend Jerry Norton. Oh, okay. Yeah, but have not had a chance to check that one out specifically yet. So let's see here. Um, so going back right now, like what are your, so you got yourself in Vegas, you got three different people, one in Vegas, one in Scottsdale, one in Nebraska. Um, I guess one question I have for you, because we did TV in New Mexico and we did TV in Oklahoma. And in both markets, apparently, when you're in a smaller state, smaller population state, that channel just goes to the whole state, right? So, yeah. like here, if I advertise on Phoenix, it might make it to Flagstaff. Probably not going to make it to Tucson, right? But when we were advertising in Albuquerque, we were getting leads in Santa Fe. We are getting leads at the border. Right? We were getting leads where the states, literally where the border lines are, right? Mm -hmm. And then the same thing happened in Oklahoma. When we were advertising on TV, there are people that were an hour and a half away, right? And it's like, I remember we bought this property, contracted. We didn't buy it. We contracted this property for $8,000. Yeah. It's a great deal, right? Right? And I was like, how can we lose money on this deal? No one was interested. <laughs> right? Oh, so, I have stories. So talk to me about doing TV in a smaller population market. Because, like, I mean, how, what is the population in your market? 200 to 250. I mean, yeah. 250 for Lincoln. Yeah. Omaha's close to a million. How far away is Omaha from Lincoln? That's what's great. They're only 45 minutes apart. So, like, it's really, like, Scottsdale, like Phoenix, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's all together pretty much. Yeah. But they're two separate stations. Mm -hmm. So we have to pay two different markets. Gotcha. Still working on Tony with that one. But, we, yeah, we got to pay for two different markets. But to your point, these small towns, we had a house under contract for 500 bucks once, Steve. Nobody wanted to buy it. Yeah. Why? That's weird. Why wouldn't you want to buy a $500 house, right? Um, but we've bought houses for $500. we have bought houses for $1,500. Mm -hmm. Like, just buy for cash and then sell or finance to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you get your uh, upfront cost back in three months. Right. And so um, you either, A, buy it really, really cheap. And we simply just try to disqualify those leads as hard as we can. Some mm -hmm. of the people, though, they just want to give, give her the house. It's junker, whatever. They, they don't want it. The key, though is you're going to get those leads. There's nothing you can do about it. And if you don't have a strategy for it, you are just shredding money. Like yeah. those leads cost money, so you're shredding money. But we started to figure out innovations. Mm -hmm. 
And with these small towns, we just say, hey, look, this doesn't qualify for a cash offer. I mean, we'd have to buy it for way low and you probably don't want to do that, right? So we disqualify them. And then, but if you're interested, we do have another program that you might be interested in. I don't know for sure if it qualifies, but if it does, we might be able to get you your price, but here's what we're going to need in return. Yeah. So we're teeing it up to where it's going to be an ovation. We're going to get the contract. We're going to put the property on the MLS. And if you can get the property in these small towns on the MLS, they typically will sell. Mm-hmm. But that's the, that's the trick. Yeah. Yeah. So the $500 house, you close on it? No. No. No, we didn't close on it. Yeah. it. It was just like, it was a junk house. Like it was foundation falling issues falling apart. And yeah. Follow-up question from DCP1. Do you let the sellers know that you're wholesaling? Yeah. So this is a good question. And I think a lot of people... Um, we're going to have different opinions about this, but this has changed for me. In, in the beginning, it was like, I didn't really want to disclose it. But now that we've built up a brand and we have a reputation, the last thing I want is for the seller to get a curveball. And so when we are wholesaling it, we're pretty open about like, hey, it's not us. We're going to be selling this to another uh, investor partner. And that's it. And if that's not going to work for you, I totally understand. But this is, this is a hard conversation to have. I'm still working on this conversation with my acquisitions team because I can, I can tell a seller that, but getting them to fully disclose because they don't want to miss out on the deal. Mm-hmm. If, the, if I tell the seller this, they're not going to want to do the business. It's just not the truth. Right. If you have an easy button for them, they don't really care how they're going to get paid right. as long as they get paid. Yeah, they just want the money on closing day. Exactly. So we set up the stage that there is an inspection period and that, that is going to take time before we can give you the, the green light. The worst case scenario here, seller, is we messed up. Yeah. And we got to come back and have that conversation. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So um, you're talking about, you know, doing this virtually. What freedoms have you found, you know, running your business the way you ran it? What, does it, what freedom does it afford you? Yeah, I love this one. I mean, I work from home. Um, I, I don't go into an office. This is challenging. So I'll, I'll start with that. In the fact that my kids and my wife are in the other room and I'm in my home office. So it's, it's a blessing that I can just go out there. But it's also challenging in the fact that I might be on the phone in a business meeting and my two-year-old might just scream because he's mad, right? And so... Uh, that, that freedom has been amazing. And then the other component is, is like, I'm here right now and my team is still on the phones. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a blessing for sure. Um, besides the, the, the freedom to do what you want where, from wherever, what other, what else do you love about real estate? I wish I would have found about real estate when I was 18, I, w- yeah. I, I wish they'd teach this stuff in school because it, it's just the ultimate freedom. Like when you can take a asset and you can borrow against it and you can have tax advantages, there's just so many things. I mean, the list just goes on. Um, I love closing deals. To me, it's a, it's fun. It's a game. And so closing deals, the tax benefits, the the freedom that it can and provide for you where do i stop i yeah. mean there's just so many 
But I'm with you on that because that's the um, reason why we have the podcast, right? So we can, you know, we, we're on a mission to create 100 millionaires, right? We're preaching the, the, the gospel of entrepreneurship, right? We want people to know about it, but, you know, because it, it's not con school. Uh, Steve Estrada says it's crazy that um, he's always been told not to tell a seller you're a wholesaler. Uh, what does your market, marketing look like for 2023? Uh, this is a question from Jason Toledo on YouTube. All right, so 2023. So I don't know if you guys heard, um, we actually missed the boat on the hedge funds because hedge funds were not buying in Nebraska. Um, so that didn't affect our business. But what did is the wholesale market is squeezed. I don't know if you guys have felt that at all. And so with that, we've started looking at just total overhead. So we are looking at non-revenue generating payroll and just making decisions on, hey, is this position when the market was this, like this, still needed today when the market is a little bit different? But at the end of the day, we understand that the market is the market. It doesn't affect the way we do business. So we are still continuing to market. We're still running the channels that we talked about. Um, TV, though, is one that we did back off on a little mm -hmm. bit just because of the, it's just a pretty significant expense. So we, we've pivoted and just cut down a little bit, but we haven't changed anything. Got it. The channels are the same. Uh, what is your why? It's my family. Yeah, 100%. So the, yeah, the day that I found out my wife was expecting was the day that I found a true purpose mm -hmm. along with real estate coinciding. Um, and I just want to give my family the, the life that they deserve. Yeah. So for sure it's family. Uh, what is your biggest struggle today? Biggest struggle today. Oh man. I mean, I would say, I would just say being the best leader that I can for my team. I get out of bed excited every day. I don't know if you could tell. Like I, I'm, I'm excited. I can tell. I, 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 I love real estate. I love connecting and I mm -hmm. love all of that. Um, but when I'm yelling at through a screen sometimes to my team, I feel like sometimes the message isn't getting heard. And so right. I'm working on this myself as just becoming a better leader, um, asking better questions, setting better expectations, um, just a better leader because I don't want to be the one that holds our business back from reaching the next level. What does yelling at the screen mean? Is it like you're fired up or you're like chewing them out? Yeah, I, I'm not the or type. Of, yeah, I'm not the type of guy that really chews people out. Okay. Uh, for for anybody who, who's watching who knows me would probably agree, um, but it's more like, let's go. Like we're excited, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're here to close some deals today and, and make some money. And it's it's more of an excitement yelling mm -hmm. than it is. I'm not yelling at you. <laughs> I'm trying to fire you up. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and how are you measuring success? Yeah, this is a good question. Um, well, I mean, for me, it's time with family. Mm -hmm. um, so this has been ever changing. In the early days of business, I like my brain barely had the capacity to like figure out how to run the business. Yeah. Let alone do all the time blocking stuff. And so for for me, it's just quality of time with my family. The hardest part is this is something I'm working on has been just full attention. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm with my wife and my kids. We're sitting at dinner, and they look at me, and my mind is over there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm there, but my mind is not there. So right. the hardest part is just like focusing on being fully present, and that to me is um, what I want. What are you doing about that? Yep. So working on this one, cashing out. Mm-hmm. So anything that's on my mind when I'm in my office, even though I'm at home, is either A, getting it on paper, uh, number one, and then shutting my phone either off or mm-hmm. just leaving it in my office. Um, as easy as it sounds, sometimes it just somehow finds its way. Um, it it with, just sneaks in there. It just Yeah, it just sneaks out. Yeah. And so shutting the phone off has been a game changer or just leaving it in the office because mm-hmm. then I can't like get the itch to go look at my phone and like see something and then tell my team, you know what I mean? So it's just like, that's what I'm doing to improve that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is just time blocking. So from this time in the morning to this time, I do my best to have breakfast with my family. And in the evening hours, from this time to this time, there's no phone. Um, very intentional about having that time with my kids, playing with my kids, going for a walk, doing something together mm-hmm. as a family. That's awesome. Um, has this has this uh, uh, been a situation where it's come up within the family? We're like, hey, like, you know, dad, you're, you're on the phone too much. Or like, has there been like significant pushback here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if my wife's watching right now, but um, I would be lying to you if I told you no. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it definitely um, came up. And yeah. I, I think many business owners and driven individuals would probably tell you that is a thing that if you don't fix that, then it's going to become an issue. And so for me, the reason why we started this business was to spend more time with our family. Right. So it freaks me out to think that business would consume me to the point where I don't find time for family. And mm-hmm. so when I have that conversation with my wife, it's like, this is important. Like, I trust me, this is really important to me. This is more important than any money, any business, anything. And so here's what I'm going to do to make sure that you can see that. Yeah. It's a struggle, right? Because, you yeah. know, you said that your wife's your family. And, you know, I've got this theory. I'm not saying it's right. I've got this theory that we all start off for the business for money, right? Usually for money. And then, you know, there's elements of time freedom, right? So there's time freedom and financial freedom. Like, I think most entrepreneurs start for time freedom and financial freedom, right? So that's their why. And then it gets to a point like, okay, I'm doing this for my family, Right. But if you're doing it for your family, like how much money do you really need for your family? Just pull. Right? So then is it truly your family or is it something else? So have you gone deep into this or you're like planting your flag in like, no, it's 100% my family? Yeah. Well, you make a good point. This changes. I think every entrepreneur, every business has a season. And I did this seven layers deep exercise. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's watching this, if you haven't done the why seven layers deep exercise, just look it up and do it. Dean Graciosi talks about it. Mm-hmm. Change your life. Yeah, it's a great exercise. Great exercise. Definitely. Generally, recommendations, do it with someone that doesn't know you well. Yes. And if I've done this with my family, I've done this with my wife's parents. Mm-hmm. We've done this as a family. At the end of it, we were all crying like babies. Yeah. And if your why isn't big enough for you to cry, then you need to dig a little deeper is, yeah. is the concept. And so my point with that being said is my family is always going to have that component of why I continue to push forward, even when times are tough, Mm -hmm. even if we have to let somebody go, whatever's going on, 
I'm going to keep going. Yeah. But as I continue to mature and grow as a business owner, my why starts to be become a little bit more about um, legacy and impact mm-hmm. and, and, and helping more people. And, and it's not as selfish anymore. It's not about me and my money and my family. It's always, that's always going to be important right. to me. But as long as we can take care of that, now we can start to think about bigger picture impact, changing lives, helping more people. And that is the season that I'm transitioning towards. So what have you found out about that, about yourself in, in, in that capacity? I found out that it's, um, if you're not prepared to commit to it, it can take away from what you're currently doing. Yeah. Um, so for example, if I'm needed for this many hours in my business and I'm over here trying to juggle this ball and this ball and give my time to my family, pretty soon I'm spread too thin. Yeah. And so that's been a juggling act in itself. Yeah, it definitely is. And I've ex- experienced that as well. Right. So again, that's the reason why I asked. Like is as you get into this part where you're growing, you know, you said that it was impactful. One of your biggest wins was helping your lead ma- or acquisition manager, right? Teaching him something. Yeah. So part of that kind of goes back to like you want to give back. And so now you got this challenge, right? And you know, like again, it's a theory, right? But when someone says like, you know, I want to care for my family, it's almost like, you know, when you say like, hey, what are your core values? Like, you know, integrity and this and that. It's like, well, everyone should have integrity. Like that's like Yeah. Right. That's just a start, right? You can't you can't hang your hat on integrity. Right. So that that's the reason why I, I dive deeper on that. Uh so then what is your superpower? My superpower is speed, implementation. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I talked a lot about this, so if she's watching, she's going to laugh at this because it took me a second to think about that, but I think so many people, Steve, spend way too much time on things that just don't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, business card. I spent so much time on business cards. And by the way, this wasn't always my superpower. Yeah, I spent so much time trying to come up with a domain. What was my business name going to be? all these things that just didn't move the needle. And now that I've went through that and I've watched the business develop, I realized that any great deal, anything that required a quick decision resulted in the highest return if we could just make that decision fast. Yeah. If we jumped on that seller lead within the three minutes that we're supposed to, if we solved that problem, if we made the decision to come on this show or do whatever, like, if you give yourself too much time to think, mm-hmm. indecision happens. Indecision combined with anxiety, combined with regret and fear of missing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, man. For no, sure. I'm with you on that. That, that's, that quick action, fortunately for me, is, is just one of those things kind of like built in. But man, like, you look around and people that, you know, take longer to take action, it's like, it sucks because, like, who knows what you might have missed out on, but they're always like, but well, what if something bad happens? Like, but what if something good happens? Yeah. What if you didn't do that? All right. Like my, did we talk about biggest fear? No, go ahead. Okay. My biggest fear is wishing that I would have done something. At the end of my life, if I have to look back, I mean, I think just the fact that we have this life, we got to look back and live with our regrets is is looking back and saying man i wish i would have 
done that. I wish I would have tried this. I wish I would have made that extra call. I wish I would have started that business. I wish I would have whatever it is for you. That's my biggest fear yeah. is just not doing what I knew that I was capable of. Yeah. There's a great quote, great quote on that, right? Like a greatest fear is not what we might miss out on. Our greatest fear is what, uh, how great and awesome we can be. Something along those lines. I'm butchering that quote. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then along those lines, what is your biggest regret? Biggest regret? Mm-hmm. This is easy. It's wholesaling so many properties. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and I don't want to spin this in such a negative way because I believe that there are paths like freshman and sophomore year, mm-hmm. wholesale. Junior year, start to flip. Senior year, maybe you start to buy properties. Um, it is crazy to me, though, to look at all the properties that I wholesaled three years ago. Number one, to see how much they sold for. Mm-hmm. But number two, to realize what my net worth would look like had I kept even a fraction of those? Yeah. Because in the beginning, yeah, we were we were flipping everything. We were selling and flipping, and we we hold we hold some properties, but I mean we're talking hundreds of deals. Yeah. Um. So I wish I would have kept some more, and I and I, I would still. That's my focus moving forward, just trying to figure out how to keep more. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, how did you learn your greatest lesson? All right. So this is um this is a lesson that I think a lot of real estate investors they're going to be able to relate to so you know who um, uh, david richter is mm-hmm. right of course profit first um my mine is just not hiring somebody to focus on the books soon enough yeah and, and not using other people's money and having all of my cash tied up into flips because <laughs> i don't know if anybody can relate when you have so much money in your flips, you just feel poor. The operation has to keep going. Your right. marketing keeps going. Yeah, property rich, cash poor. Property rich, cash poor. Yeah. So, that that would be a big a big two. Yeah, and uh, again, you know, we just put together our wealth assessment. So go to wealthevaluation.com. I actually reference David Richter in this. I just put six pages together on how to assess your wealth. Yeah. David Richter is one of those sources in there, right, on assessing your wealth. Because I think you can't create something that you don't measure. Or you can't improve something you don't measure. So we put something tools for people to measure uh, where their net worth today. What book have you gifted more than any other? Miracle Morning. Miracle Morning. Do you need Miracle Morning? I mean, you seem like you're fired up. Did you were you were you less fired up before? Oh, Steve, man, if you would have met me five years ago, yeah. you would have think that I just came out of uh, you know whatever. Like I, I've always been a happy-go-lucky person, mm-hmm. but when you have zero energy because you have zero sleep and you have zero money in your bank account, yeah, the energy is just a little bit different. Right. But Miracle Morning, I would say, it it's been a huge game changer for me. Yeah. When I I didn't when you don't have like habits or routines, mm-hmm. you just kind of fly by the seat of your pants. Kind of drift. You kind of drift. Yeah. Yeah. So Miracle Morning is one of my books I recommended the most. It's an incredible book. I was just kind of surprised because you got this. You're, you're not, you know, what was it T two thousand or T one thousand? What was the Terminator in, in, in Terminator two, right? The okay. You're not quite that guy, but yeah. I can kind of see like you just stepping out of here and just going to a full sprint with like without <laughs> breaking a sweat. Am I crazy here? I, I mean, you're, yeah, no, you're not. You're spot on. Right. I'm I'm excited because it's 
this is it. Like, yeah. this is all we have. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I love that. I love that energy. So I want you to think about a message you want to leave the auto listeners with. Uh, last thoughts, and I'm going to just read something real quick. Uh, everyone that's listening right now, we see a window of opportunity in this market, and I am personally excited to seize this moment. So if you have capital and don't know where to get started in real estate, you can invest with us. If you have killer deals that you need help closing on, then partner with us. So go to teamwithsteve.com and let's do business together. If you guys got value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment. Uh, and um, well, I guess don't forget we got part of the disruption tomorrow. Uh, what are the last thoughts you'd like to leave all the listeners with? Yeah, for, for those of you who are watching this, if you've thought about investing in real estate, if, you've, if you have a business, um, if you have big goals, just decide and take action and, and go for it mm -hmm. because it's, you're just one decision away from changing the trajectory of your entire life. I know going to that seminar five years ago changed my life forever. Yeah. Well, and that's a big thing, you know. I know we're supposed to wrap up here, but, like, this is something I struggle with. So we look at that service provider, you want to call it, right? And it feels a little scammy, right? But if it didn't exist, you wouldn't necessarily be here. You might be here. You might not be here. You don't know for sure. Uh, RJ Bates, right? He talked about it uh, on one of our uh, uh, part of the disruption episodes, right? He talked about, like, he felt like he got scammed by $60,000, by a guru for $60,000. But would he have continued moving forward if he didn't have to pay his mom back? Right? Good point. We don't know. So uh, myself personally, I, I got up to my eyes in credit card debt and building my business, right? I went all in on me. Who are we to say you shouldn't go all in on yourself, right? So it's just, it, it's a struggle. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. It's a struggle. This is just a spectrum here. That's really good. It's bet on yourself. It's this, yeah. If it's decide um, and, and know that the decision that you're making could have consequences. Right. I'm not telling you guys to go put $45,000 <laughs> on credit cards when you don't have the money to pay it back. Mm -hmm. In fact, I don't recommend it. You might lose some sleep. But yeah, we, I don't recommend it either. But it's also hard to tell someone not to do it. It's like, I know. <laughs> no, I, I, I hear you. Yeah. I think you got to have skin in the game. Yeah. I think you absolutely have to have skin in the game. Um, how can someone get a hold of you? Yeah. So you can check me out on Instagram. It's um, Michael McDonald REI. And you can check my website out. It's thevirtualmillionaires.com. We talked about being able to give back and mm -hmm. help people out. Yeah. Um, can we talk about? the special yeah. link. Sure. Yeah, cool. So I'm giving away um, uh, just an entry level course for, for investors. It's thevirtualmillionaires.com for Steve's listeners slash R-E-D. And you can grab a free course right there. Awesome. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It was man. a pleasure. For sure. Thank you guys for watching. See you guys tomorrow on PTD. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.